Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Amanda, how are you? I am really well, thank you, Alex. Yeah, really well. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very excited. I'm excited too. You you can teach founders with ADHD how to scale, start, grow a business. And I think I've, I sort of count myself in that category. So I've, I've been genuinely excited about this conversation to, to learn, to learn what, you, what, what you have to share. Thank you. Going just before we get to that bit, starting from the very beginning, and it's a question I like to ask everyone. If we could speak to somebody who knew Amanda when she was a child, how would they describe you? How would they describe me? That's a funny question because I was talking to my mum last night and I was saying I was coming on this podcast and I've been thinking about the kind of early ADHD memories. And I asked her about it and I said, does, does anything stand out? And she said, well, now that I know just everything, she said, I mean, <laughs> from the moment you were born, you were, you know, high, like restless, hyperactive, always needed food, always needed a drink, like always needed something to calm me down, whether that was, and she always says this, you know, I can, as soon as your dad laid a hand on me, you'd be crying and restless. And, you know, I, I always needed like attention or holding or comforting right through, right through school, right. I mean, I have memories of one of my earliest um, memories of that, like, it's really hard to describe to anyone that isn't neurodivergent, but that, mm. that, that impulsive feeling that you know is wrong on the inside. My mum and dad had a shop when I was probably three or four. It's it's one of my very earliest memories. I've told this to so many therapists, <laughs> I can't even tell you. It was like stealing penny sweets, stealing these these uh, white mice and mm. and those shrimp foam shrimps. Mm. Not not like often, but I would just take one and I'd know inside it was so wrong. But it was like. I couldn't help myself. And I never really understood what that feeling was until I was diagnosed and then 
you understand what impulsivity is. It's not just being naughty. It's literally like not being able to stop yourself. Mm. How, I mean, I know exactly what you mean, that impulsivity and, and you, do you think you get like excitement or a rush from perhaps doing something you know is a bit naughty, but the impulsivity kind of takes over? Yeah, I guess. I don't really like... I mean, I don't know the science behind it, but for me, did I want that sweet? Yeah, I guess I wanted the sweet, didn't I? And I knew (laughs) that mum and dad were, like, somewhere around. Mm. Um, Yeah, I mean, and that went on into, you know, my teenage years. It turned into drinking or, you know, recreational drugs, and then it turned into food or, you know, relationships, like impulsive uh, borderline sort of obsessive behavior you know it's all it's all the same thing isn't it but it's funny looking back to being so young like three or four and really really recognizing that feeling in me that I'd never quite understood until I was diagnosed which is weird isn't it so weird yeah and, and it's so interesting I, I, I mean I'm not a therapist but my thinking when you were saying that is I guess when you're young the only thing that you know is sweets yes yeah and I heard someone say that recently actually saying about with ADHD and like addictive behavior or impulsive behavior when you're young the reason so many people go on to develop um impulsive food habits is because when you're young you know, yeah, as you, exactly as you say, food's the only thing available to you. You can't you can't choose drugs or alcohol when you're three or four years old. I mean, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> you can't. Um, so yeah, it's, it's food, isn't it? So which is why so many people go on to develop um, eating disorders, overeating, undereating, whatever that might be. Mm. So relatable, um, especially when you said about the alcohol and. That's something yeah. I, I've I've had issues with, and a lot of my guests have. Um, yeah. we, we can touch on that a bit later uh, because it is an interesting topic. Yeah, definitely. Going back again to your school reports, do you remember what they look like? Do I remember my school reports? <laughs> so, so I feel like I thought I remembered my school reports, and I'd always had this thing in my head about them being you know, she's so capable, if only, if only she'd focus, if Mm. only she wouldn't talk so much, if only blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, there's something about growing up where you think, oh, maybe they weren't that bad. And then my mum and dad moved house from our like, you know, 25 year family home, had this huge clear out, moved from Cornwall up to Yorkshire. So we were all helping with this elements of this clear out and I found my reports and it was actually after I'd been diagnosed. Um, and I'm not embarrassed to say I was, I was just in floods of tears. I was devastated. They were worse than I remembered. <laughs> as in like more, you know, every line might as well have said, she's got ADHD, you need to get us into, get some help. <laughs> I'm made worse because I went to the doctors when I was 11, when I just started school, because I was so upset watching the news. It was when, I don't know if these years are going to match up, so maybe I wasn't 11, maybe 12 or something at one of of these points, but there's a Brugger ferry disaster had just happened. Do you remember that? Vaguely. Where the 
that bit huge ferry had like I'll never forget it the the doors where the cars go in had opened mm. through the sea or had like broken and all the water got in and this ferry um sank with all these people on it all these people died it was horrific mm. and it was all over the news and I was obsessed with it and I was whatever I was 10 11 12 and I couldn't sleep I was so sad all the time I was crying my mum took me to the doctors and he said I was depressed <laughs> He told me at 11 years old it was depression mm. and you know looking back it was so clearly this this sensitivity empathy you know that part of ADHD and yeah I guess just reading my school reports just reminded me of how it's that grieving process you go through isn't it when you're diagnosed of what what could have been so different if we just knew more about it then Absolutely. And, and you, you see women getting misdiagnosed with anxiety, similar to, I think, what you sounds like yourself with depression, yeah. P, PMS. Um, yeah. Because the, the traits of ADHD can make people feel miserable. And then they go to the, yeah. to the, the GP with other issues like depression or anxiety, and it just doesn't get picked up. It is awful. No, um, it is awful. It is. And that's why I'm so... I'm so um, passionate about talking about it now because I just think, what an if you really zoom out, what an incredible time we're living through that we're breaking this. Like no, no other generation is going to have to go through what we've been through of not knowing, being misdiagnosed. The more we talk about it, the more research there is based on women, the more people are going to get diagnosed and won't have to go through that that journey of misdiagnosis or not understanding themselves or the bad school reports or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just so important we talk about it, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. And there's so many, so many people talking about it, which is good. And on social media, and that's a topic that, that I'd, I'd like be keen to get onto later because we spoke about this before. There's so many, there's so much yeah. messaging on social media. Yeah. Some, some of it's good. Some of it's not so good. Yeah. Um, but just going back again, if you could go back and, and say something to your, uh, yourself when you were watching that very disaster, just generally you as a child, what do you think, and with the knowledge that you have now, what do you think you would say to yourself? It's not, it's not a case of like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, everything's going to be fine. It's like, it's really important to feel those feelings, isn't mm. it? And it's kind of weird when I think about it, that the, that, I was and everyone was so concerned that I was so upset about this I mean it was kind of upset to a, a, a concerning level I was really really obsessed with it um but yeah I guess it's it's you have to feel your feelings don't you and that mm. sensitivity and empathy when I look at it now is actually you know what I would I would put a lot of my success still with success in air quotes down to because I do have, you know, that has really done me well in business. It's not great when you're a kid, is it? When you don't know how to manage these feelings, but when you understand that it's an integral part of you and it's just how your brain works, then, you know, you, you can really embrace it and you can use it for positive. I guess it's when it's untamed, and you just don't know why you're feeling like this. And mm. and then when a doctor's telling you it's depression and you're a kid and, you know, that all of that stuff's quite scary, isn't it? That's quite a lot to handle. Um, 
yeah I think whenever I do or think about inner child stuff or younger me or something it does make me really emotional because I think the things that we go through as kids you know and those those lonely feelings that we have when we're so confused with the world and then 40 years later you know you find out what it is and why you feel like that and and actually you're not alone there's so many other people feeling like that I think that's that's the sad part isn't it Mm. oh definitely yeah you just you know you go back and you always want to shout at yourself you know you're not broken you're just different um and I mean I'm I'm 35 and I've just been diagnosed you've you've been diagnosed I believe in 2020 2020 yeah so I suppose what was it that made you have that penny drop moment and go for an assessment yes it's weird isn't it I was I really like the Steve Jobs quote about you can only join the dots looking back and I think when I when I do look back I remember so many different things I remember being in a, I was in a NatWest business accelerator probably eight years ago, maybe even nine years ago. And someone there that I'd met and become good friends with said to me, once we'd known each other a while, said, I've just been down to London to this specialist clinic and I've been diagnosed with ADHD. And I was like, no, you haven't. You're like a, you know, 30 year old woman. And she said, no, adults can get it. You know, and let's remember, we only, the, the science only realised that ADHD could exist in adults in 2009. Like, it's so recent, relatively mm. recent, isn't it? And that was my attitude. I was like, no, ADHD is what, you know, naughty little boys have. I didn't even really believe that naughty little boys had it at that point. I just thought they were naughty little boys. I thought it was, you know, something that, parents just let them play on their video games too much um and so I just kind of oh and she said the reason I'm telling you is because I actually think you're worse than me I think you've got (laughs) it I see so much of it in you Mm. um and I just kind of laughed it off and it was a few years later probably I'd say maybe four or five years ago that someone in my family started researching it and said that they recognised it in themselves and started kind of sharing these things off social. And, and I understand why now. And I was like, that's that's so silly. You haven't got ADHD. And I was like, oh, I recognise that. Oh, oh, God, like that sounds like me. And as we've discussed before, then the more you engage with content, the more ADHD stuff you get showed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, this mm. really is me. I don't need a diagnosis. I know there was a really nice period there actually where I didn't want a diagnosis because I didn't want medication and I thought how brilliant that I recognize these symptoms and and now that there's research and content around it I can find I can use that for support um I did end up going for a diagnosis in the end um which was really helpful because it's just it's just very validating isn't it and I know there's a lot of issues with the the diagnosis process um but it was very validating so yeah I got my diagnosis in 2020 and I think if I hadn't got the diagnosis maybe I wouldn't have um acted upon it maybe I would have just carried on in the business situation I was in 
and that wouldn't have been right so I think getting the diagnosis was really instrumental in me taking it seriously for myself I think mm. that's fascinating one of the main questions I get asked is should I go for a diagnosis mm. did it did it change anything um and I've, I've spoken about my experience of that before did, did it change anything with you did you feel how did you feel after the diagnosis um I felt really I felt I've spoken about this with quite a lot of people recently I think we've touched on it before where it's so weird to think that I was only diagnosed three years ago because it feels like such a different landscape um and you know it took me a year to talk about it publicly I took a long long time to process it I was very uh fortunate in a weird way that me and two other family members were diagnosed at the same time so we had a really tight support network you know we were very the three of us were constantly talking about it very openly and I know at the time there was people I was speaking to or saw content from where people didn't believe them which just broke my heart because I think god you know what a thing to go through if people aren't believing you um so I was really lucky it took me yeah a year to talk about it publicly because I feel like it's a it's a it's a big thing I know now it's so much more common and you know people are kind of getting the diagnosis and then talking about it straight away um but back then which was only three years ago it sounds so silly mm -hmm. it was it was much much rarer like the 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 cases have gone up so, so significantly in the last few years it just took me a long time to process it I think I remember the the clinic that I went to to get diagnosed when I told her about the business and I told her about how I managed my life she said I can never remember the exact words but she said something like you're the the worst case of it the most successful worst case of ADHD I've ever seen because you've learned to create these systems around you that work for you so I was able to operate quite a complex business as you were because I built these systems built teams processes whatever around me um and the competitive part of adhd when she said that i was like yes i'm like the worst the worst case she seen. you know there was a real celebration there um so yeah i i took it really seriously afterwards it took took me a long time to process but i, I took it really seriously and it you know ultimately changed my whole business uh, trajectory mm. You should put that quote on your website as the the worst, most successful case of ADHD. <laughs> I know. I just I can't quite remember what it was. That the sentiment was that, but every time I say it, it doesn't quite make sense. So mm. I need to I need to like remember exactly what she said. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you're right. You have had huge success. I mean, I think you've uh, started and sold four businesses, uh, which is yeah. so impressive. And I think there will be a lot of people listening who might be really keen to know and I appreciate that what works for some people doesn't work for others and everyone's yeah. different but and you mentioned systems you put in place can you share some systems perhaps that you have put in place in the past that has have helped you lean into the strengths of what ADHD might bring 
Um, yeah, I think it's it's really funny to think. Yeah, I started my first business in 2007. Um, and it's funny to think about how I ran businesses before my diagnosis and afterwards. So before my drive for success was very um, shame led, I would say very like, I'll prove them wrong. I've got to do this. You're an idiot. Why can't you do this? Everyone else can do this. Why can't you do this? Mm. And I had some really, really bad experiences in my first business and ended up bankrupt from it. So, you know, I think it's really important to say that when I did, I have, I've started multiple businesses, way more than four, but I have, you know, sold four of them, but none of them were like multi-million pound exits and this is the conversations I have with clients is like you you can sell a business like there's bits to sell in a business it could be to your neighbor or to someone down the road or to your competitor on Instagram you know it doesn't have to be this big buyout with like due diligence and all you know handing over all your records and stuff all of I would say I would say every single, I would say the two main businesses out of the four I sold, I left it way too late. Where, and I knew it. I knew it, particularly in the last one in my agency. I knew for the for for about a year, at least the 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 six months before I sold, I knew I had to get out, and I didn't for various reasons. Um, but I've left it way too late, which has impacted, you know, the the financial like the value of it and me just needing to go because it's just extreme burnout um so you could say that the systems didn't work (laughs) (laughs) the systems I thought were working were you know I thought I was being planned and I thought that the processes that I was using or the the business was using were really efficient and effective but if it results in you burning yourself out completely are they Mm. you know are they the right systems i just i think i don't know about you alex but i'm like oh my god this app is going to save my life this notepad the way this notepad set out this (laughs) remarkable i've got like every i'm a marketer's dream i've got Mm. literally everything you know remarkable pad that i spent 600 quid on because i thought well, if I stop buying notebooks, that's only a couple of years. I've never used it, you know? The, mm. the, the best systems are the ones you use, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you, it's so true. And you said something a moment ago about the, the four businesses that you have had success in weren't your only businesses. You've, you've started quite a few other ones, which for whatever reason haven't been a success or just haven't carried through. And that really hit home because actually I think you've summarised the ADHD qualities there so relatable like Unilad Lad Bible all the other Facebook communities that's probably five percent of the ones I've started the rest have failed I tried to start a podcast a year ago burnt out failed and this one now it's traction so I can 100% relate to that and I think the qualities that we have is actually the resilience and the the attitude of okay that failed I'm not going to dwell on it or I can't dwell on it because my mind's racing on to the next exciting thing yeah yeah, exactly. Whereas so many people would be like, well, you know, that failed. Either people looking in like, well, what happened to that business that failed? Or people who aren't neurodivergent who gave it a go. I remember after my first business, which was 
you know, ended in bankruptcy. It was, by the end, it was just pure chaos. The wheels had fallen off. It was just awful. Like if I knew then what I knew now, I would have, I would have found an exit a long time before. And I remember my dad saying to me, are you going to get a job now? Are you going to go and get a proper job? And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if I'm sure you can relate to this. For a long time, I just thought I was completely unemployable. The jobs I'd had were just like, I mean, I just made my own rules, you know. I couldn't I couldn't work to a company's rules. So the idea of getting a job was just absolutely crazy. I was like, no, I already know what I'm going to go and do. <laughs> and, I was, you know, it did take me a while, that one. That one really, really knocked my, my kind of mental and physical health. But, um, yeah, it took me a while. But, yeah, I was on to the next thing. Mm. I suppose this is quite a big question, but how do you think your ADHD, I suppose, shows up in your approach to business? I think that one of the key things for me, so I got diagnosed during the lifespan of my last business, which was a marketing, a digital marketing agency that I had for just over five years. And getting that diagnosis and realizing that the aspects of myself that I'd found so hard in business and so challenging and had always led to burnout weren't just um, like failings of mine. It wasn't, it wasn't something that I had to learn to overcome or I just hadn't found the system that worked or I just had to work a bit harder or get some more sleep, be a bit more resilient, be a bit more alert. It was fundamentally how my brain worked. So for me now, it's about understanding what those things are. I know that I can't, at the point of diagnosis, I had um, around a team of like 40. We'd grown through lockdown from a team of five to a team of 40. So when we went back to the office, there was pretty much 40 of us, 38, 40. And I had this diagnosis and through that kind of year of processing that and understanding more and researching it, I was just like looking around me thinking, I've built a prison. I haven't built a business. I've built a prison where I'm in the worst possible environment I can be, which is a team of people, a room of people every day with like sensory overload, energy overload, people needing things from me, like people it felt like I was just having my energy stolen every day, like meetings dumped in my calendar. And, you know, it was just that sense of, um, it's that sense of building something or using your energy to build something that's growing to pay people's wages and pay the overheads. And yeah, you know, pay yourself and all of that. But, you know, when you zoom out and look at it and think, what's the point what am I doing here like I'm just using my energy exhausting myself burning myself out to keep this machine going that's actually not making me happy anymore um and that's one of my core kind of values going forward is just making sure that I work by myself if I work with people I bring you know contractors experts like people that I'm, I'm I can really bounce off and work well with um and creating i always talk about like people used to scoff at lifestyle businesses didn't they they'd be like you know dragon's den oh it's a lifestyle business it's just for you 
I want that lifestyle business. Like I want that business where I can get up, I dictate my calendar, I go for a walk in the mornings, I can, you know, if it's sunny, I spend the day doing what I want, catch up on a bit of work in the evening. Like I want that lifestyle business. Mm. And I don't think you have to jeopardise the, the financial successes for that. I think, you know, the, if you're running a business that suits you and suits your brain, everything else follows, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and what you just said sounds like my worst nightmare, being in an office with so many people. That sounds like you're yeah. so vulnerable to criticism or rejection yeah. which could yeah. really throw you off course on a day and you just don't know yeah. which angle it might come from that would throw me Horrific. off is that something that you were were had on your conscious yeah definitely once I understand understood more about it I was like oh I'm not just you know a snowflake or I'm not just like um I don't know. I think I internalized. Uh, I think I internalized it to mean that I was, you know, a bad person or a nasty person or something. That I just couldn't handle this. When you think of a marketing agency, so you've got generally a high churn of staff. We went through the the Great Resignation or whatever they were calling it after the pandemic, where people were leaving and coming. It was very unstable. We went through iOS and our main service was Facebook ads. So iOS 14, where, you know, a lot of our services had to really change. And a lot of the clients that we were servicing were quite small businesses and it really affected them. And, you know, so uh, there was a lot of clients coming and going, a lot of team coming and going. And I feel like, you know, it was almost like this vortex where I was just in the middle, like spinning. Um, and it And it was not it was not fun at all it wasn't fun and you know ultimately i kept the business going for the wrong reasons i kept it going for the team ultimately and the clients you know and when when i did look for a sale that was my i actually took a much much lower value because I wanted to make sure that the team was retained and the clients were looked after and it was as mm. seamless as possible. And this is what I mean about leaving it too late because I feel like with both of those two, the first and the, the, the two businesses I sold, the two in the middle were kind of much smaller, just econ brands that I'd started. Um, but the, the two main businesses that I sold, I just left it far, far too late. And my level of burnout, my level of, you know, once you've lost interest, like having to keep, having to force yourself to keep that interest, to keep the wheels turning is is burnout inducing, if nothing else. So mm. there's so much, isn't there? And it's, you know, it is hard for other people to understand. It's It's unfortunate that, um what what feels one way to you can look another way to someone else can't it yeah absolutely having to carry on at something after you've lost interest in it with an adhd brain is torture um and i mean and but even the process of selling a company uh even if it's I mean, it sounds like yours, you did have to go through the due diligence and the more bureaucratic stages of selling a company because that process in itself was new, did that kind of make it ex- exciting at the end or were you pulling yourself through the, the sale process? 
Yeah, I was pulling myself through because I think that when you when you need something so because of the type of business it was. So if it was a business where there was no team and no clients involved, then I mean I guess there's always customers involved, but you know if it was say like an e-com brand where it's not you haven't got anyone really to keep happy like it could take a break for a while and then someone could pick it back up an agency you don't have that luxury so there's always this kind of fear or threat that it's not going to happen so you're kind of living on you know while all of that's going on and numbers are being reviewed and people are talking to people and you know everyone's kind of coming back in to to make to decide on next steps it's a really anxious time isn't it where i mean you've gone through this to a much much bigger degree than me mine's mine's you know tiny compared to your process but even so when there's people that you know i had an obligation to the team to keep keep that going i had an obligation to the clients to keep that service going and i knew that me stepping back in just could not possibly be an option mm. um so yeah it's a it's a really stressful time it's um and no it didn't it didn't create any novelty or excitement it was horrible <laughs> <laughs> luckily it was very quick yeah. that's what i will say it was very quick i ended up actually selling it to a very very good friend of mine um and we're still very good friends and i've helped him we've worked together on kind of building it into what he wants it to be and you know we which which is great it's a real um kind of honor and i think says a lot about how we did it that we're still working together and and i've been able to help him shape it and that kind of Mm. thing so it's got a nice ending and i mean yeah well done for having that self-awareness to spot that you were struggling in that situation and to remove yourself albeit oh no fast the sale or done to remove yourself from it and now you you redesigning life to work with your brain which is yeah i I saw on your website which is a great summary i think and it's just a really helpful um way to go about living your life i think if you can yeah and now you help founders grow businesses and start businesses adhd founders um which is so interesting to me um i wish i had you by my side 10 years ago it would have been so helpful <laughs> yeah. yeah what's the most common question you get from founders who come to you looking for help i think the most common thing that it might not necessarily their question but it's it's this sense of like how we should do business you know i honestly think i've posted this a couple of times recently on various platforms but I really think that neurodivergent founders, like this wave of awareness and diagnosis we have now, will change the face of business. Because there's so many people who are newly diagnosed or recognized traits who are still in this this mindset of, you know, business should look this way. Business should look this like neurotypical model. I should be forecasting i should be business planning i should obviously there's an element of having to do all of that stuff depending on the size of your business but by building these like brain first lifestyle businesses 
that is what works for our brain. Someone said on my Instagram this morning, she's building um, a life of, oh, I can't remember the term she used, but basically an, uh, her early retirement life, you know, like a semi-retirement kind of business mm. where she can just, where her lifestyle comes first. And, you know, almost everyone I speak to, I think the common misconception, and I see it with clients that come to me, is that, to build a brain first business means like revenue last or goals last. But if we think about it very quickly, not even deeply, if we don't put our brains first, we know what's, what happens. We end up in burnout or exhaustion or we ha fall out of love with our businesses and then you're never going to hit your goals. So it's almost like a silly thing to say we have to build brain first businesses everyone should be building brain first businesses but particularly neurodivergent people where our brains aren't built in the same way as the neurotypical world around us and the more we understand about that the more we owe it to ourselves and everyone around us by the way because my home life wasn't great when i you know had this business that was zapping all my energy and I was miserable when I came home and I was crying and I was burnt out and I was confused and frustrated you know now it's almost like a, a full I was going to say 360 it's a 180 isn't it that's the saying um so yeah I just think it's really really imperative that we build these brain first businesses and I think that that's the main concern that people have by building a business around them because the way we've internalized and been conditioned to think they think that that means they won't be able to hit revenue goals or they'll have to leave this kind of idea of success whatever their ego is telling them mm. um but but that's just not true i'm just thinking about uh some of the work habits of the neurodivergent founders i know and they're very much not uh nine to five orientated they're very uh, they work at un unsociable hours. They work when they want to. They can't stop themselves from acting on an idea. They want to work now. Yeah. They don't want to. They don't fit within a traditional structure of working hours. I suppose. However, that is great. But it can also, if you don't have that self awareness, I suppose it can lead to burnout. You can suddenly yeah. be still awake at four a.m. in the morning, and that's fine occasionally but if you're doing that you know seven days a week um, and yeah. then it can be unhealthy is there any tips you could give for founders who might be starting out who have ADHD and can recognize uh, that kind of behavior in themselves how they might a spot early signs of burnout and b tools they could implement to avoid it yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because when like hyper focus comes along, you really want to give into it. And I, so I call it like, I, I always talk about, I have, how many businesses do I have at the moment? Probably four, I think. Um, and I talk about how I just raw dog all of them. I don't have any great plan. It's very like, you know, whatever's the loudest, like whatever needs doing is what I'll go to first. So I, follow that I kind of follow my interest competition novelty you know what anything that sparks my brain I guess that when we look at like younger founders 
it's really easy to to fall into those habits isn't it of really following your hyper focus staying up pulling all night is whatever you used to doing at a uni and that kind of thing i think once you get a bit older you know you're knackered for a start so you can't do an all nighter um you know people have family and commitments and all of that kind of thing so i do think that kind of tames down i also really have learned that the times when i'm in absolute hyper focus i would say it's 50 50 a good and a bad thing and there's so many times i'm sure you'll recognize this where i've had an idea i've bought the domain name i've found the instagram i've designed you know the logo i've probably set the website up and then i think about the next stage and i think oh god i haven't got time to do this like what Mm. and i've just wasted a day or i've done it with you know building out a course or program or whatever it might be um and then i'm just cross with myself because i've actually just wasted a load of time and money buying all this stuff so i really try and and i I think this only comes with age because i guess there's some of those things that have gone on to work but i really try and sit back now and think just like sit with it a while and think you know so i guess if it's something new i try and sit with it and and really think it through think about once i've done this exciting bit the bit that i really want to do and want to i want to do it now i want to get it done i can't wait to do this do i actually want to do the next bit you know what's the bit after that do i want to do it or do i want to hire someone to do it do i really want that again or you know so i try and think about that whereas if it's something that i need to do something that's on my list and i hyper focus on it brilliant like go for it get it done you know do what you need to do to get that done Mm. it's similar to what i was told before i think to firstly what you said about not being having control over taking action when you're in that hyper focus stage is easier or for me easier said than done you know it's when you're to pull yourself out of that and yeah, to say, right. hang on, no, don't buy that domain. This, you yeah. know, just shelf that idea. I mean, the, the, I guess the traditional advice would be to put the idea on the shelf. If it's still nagging you in a week or two weeks time, if you're still looking over your shoulder and saying, oh, I'm still interested in that, then, okay, then maybe buy the domain. But yeah. for me and for you, I think, and for others, it's when you're in that moment of, of craziness and you're just, Ah, I want to do it. Not yeah. I want to do it now. Then it's very yeah. hard to pull yourself it out of hard. that. Um, I think I think the key, that is the key. I think thinking about <laughs> this is the fun bit that I really want to do now. But what's the? It, it's like which I know is hard because of executive function. But it's really sitting down and thinking through the process of once I've done this fun bit, do I actually want to do the next bit? Because I think mm. that's what trips people up that's where and this is just one specific example isn't it if we're thinking of a new business idea or a new brand idea or something um but yeah i think it's yeah i mean it is definitely easier said than done isn't it it's it's power hyper focus is powerful that's why we get so much done i've I've never been able to fight it um and i i mean my girlfriend will tell you you know when when that happens then she knows and she she you know i just zone out and i'm not i'm dead to the world apart from what i'm doing on my computer yeah. um i think it's 
it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because if I, I've never fought it, and if I did fight it, I think I, I probably you know I wouldn't have had so many failures, but I also wouldn't have had um, some of the successes because they've all exactly. been born yeah. out of that moment of just yeah leaning into it and going go 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 now 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, yeah, it makes sense to say try and control it and try and not go a million miles an hour and just take it in steps to avoid burnout. And I'm still trying to do that, um, but I've I've never been successful at it quite yet. No, it's hard. It's hard because then also if we're saying, <clears throat> even if we're saying, if we look at the bigger picture, so times when I've felt like that, and then I have thought, is this really what I want to do? Do I want to do the next bit? Do I want to grow this? Is this something that could actually make money, fit into my life, whatever? If the answer is no, then then your sort of de- almost your demand avoidance kicks in, doesn't it? Of but I want to do it. I really mm. want to do this thing now. So it's not yeah, it's not a straight. And this is why it's so hard for neurotypical people to understand what's going on, isn't it? Because explaining this to them is, well, just like, don't do it, Mm. you know? And then you say, oh, but then demand avoidance. Oh, what's demand avoidance? Yeah, no one likes being told what to do or told what not to do. And these are the areas where it becomes really difficult for people to understand and very easy for people who purposely don't want to understand to say you know you're just lazy or pig-headed or you know flaky or whatever it mm. might be you said something a minute ago which was actually i sort of didn't pick up on at first but just thinking about it then i think it's really good advice is to when you're in that moment and i think this is what you meant just kind of think ahead and be aware yeah. of the, the tasks that you've got to do which aren't the fun ones exactly that might create some balance yeah, so it's not about, for me, it's not about don't do it, don't follow your hyper-focus. It's almost just, and I think this maybe only really comes because I've wasted so much time following it and, you know, I'm older now. So just kind of stopping and thinking, you know, that moment where you're like, oh, my God, this would be brilliant. The domain name's available. If I, like, if I've had this idea, someone else will have had it. If I don't get the domain name, someone else. So what I do in that moment is put it in my basket, <laughs> step away. I've got the domain name. I'm all right. I'm good. I've, like, checked Instagram. I can get something something like, you know, what I want. No, you can never get the exact phrase, can you? The exact name. Mm. And then I'll think it through. I'll just spend, and that's like, you know, I'm talking, like, five or 10 minutes, not a week, I'm talking like, right, what would this look like? Is it actually going to make money? Or is this just another like, domain name to add to my, I'm not even going to tell you how many. Um, (laughs) And yeah, it's just that it's just that kind of taking a breath and taking a step back and doing what you need to do to satisfy like finding the domain name and doing all that stuff is often the dopamine hit that you need, isn't it? And then you think, Oh, that's a stupid idea. I don't want to do that. I'd have to build a team or I'd have to I'd have to invest loads in the in the beginning and I don't want to do that or I'd have to it would take a ton of time that I don't have or something. And you know, often you can kind of talk yourself back down mm. that way, I think. With the entrepreneurs that come to you uh seeking help, do they just do some of them end up hiring teams and and growing or do you find that most of them generally stick as a a sort of a one-man band 
I think, yeah, a lot of them do stick as smaller businesses or with the with the kind of, you know, this, I don't know, gig economy, whatever we want to put, like the rising freelancers, the rising solopreneurs. There's, I don't think it's going to be long until we're just finding these, you know, groups of people that come together for a project and then move on and almost like, film crews you know mm. we're gonna have this model where that's far more acceptable and uncommon um so a lot of people that i work with are, are turning to that model now but it does take some it takes some doing and and the the biggest barrier for people is like if they've got a team now but they're feeling trapped or they're not happy or they've realized you know there's just more to life they're missing their kids growing up or whatever it might be or it's not fit because not everyone i work with does have adhd the, the vast majority do um the difficulty then is having those difficult conversations or you know it's so much easier not to have them isn't it not to have mm. the conversations with your with your team not to upset them just to keep things going to internalize it but we all know where where that ends up. That never ends up in a good place. Um, so yeah, it's it's about understanding what life needs to look like, understanding understanding what the current business is, understanding what your goals are, and understanding what thing what life currently looks like and the changes that we need to make. And that's often the hardest bit. It's really easy, isn't it, to paint the picture and work out the model and all of that kind of things. But if, if there are changes to make, that's often the obstacle for people. So that's, you know, what we spend quite a lot of time working through. But I find, I had a call with a client the other day and this is where my brain is my, I know this is a controversial thing to say, but is my absolute superpower because this woman came to me, she recognized ADHD traits, homeschools her child at the moment. And something's happening in her life where she needs to start earning money again. So her question was, I need to find a job, but I also desperately want to stay homeschooling my child. So we built a business in the time she had, we had 90 minutes together, built a business in the time she had available, worked out, like forecasted all the finances for her, built a marketing strategy, social media strategy, like outreach plans so that, she didn't really want to be on social. We built like an outreach plan so she didn't need to be posting online. And to her, that's, you know, we we answered her question of you don't have to go back to work. Like this isn't a, you can earn the money you would have earned at work in the, that those three hours you have available each day. Mm. Um, so being able to do things like that for people is just such a i'm so grateful to my brain to be able to think that quickly and and give them the courage that i have or like give them just that just enough bravery to actually make it happen you know wow well thanks for being so honest and i don't think that was controversial the the, the super hit the superpower comment because you, well you, some you... people don't like it do they some people think it's you know don't don't like the term so uh, no you're right they don't but i think in terms of i think it's okay to to describe your own something that it works really well for you is a good thing yeah um i yeah. I, I agree i think it's just going off topic slightly it's, it's when you describe adhd as uh, as a superpower in a more for broad uh, for exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so no yeah. i don't think there's anything yeah. but no it's amazing it generally is um have you noticed like a 
if you the, the clients that come to you if you noticed a type of business or an industry or a theme in the companies that pop crop up over and over again i mean this is so it's so weird you ask this because this morning i was thinking i was looking at my like application to work with me form i have like a form that goes through to a google sheet and the last 10 people on there are all american um real estate agents <laughs> so i don't know what's happened i think what's i've worked with one american real estate agent and i think he's he's kind of shared it with his network or something but but I, I, I mean i'm guessing that's what happened so that's a real outlier that's very odd generally mm. it is um very successful founders who have been diagnosed and are now like what the fuck do i do now <laughs> you know like how do i make my business work with my brain basically me people who were in my situation i think there's so many people in that situation that just need a lot of the work i do is just these like 90 minute strategy calls and it's often all they need they just it's just a bit of redirection it's not burning the whole thing to the ground and rebuilding it's redirection and also i think we're really bad at putting ourselves first so it's kind of repositioning them as the founder rather than as the you know punch bag for everyone or you know people who who will just fall into hyper focus just working all the time and their own life or needs or self-care or whatever just mm. just always goes to the bottom of the list doesn't it so yeah i would say that's the commonality i think that there's i mean even within adhd you'll see this there's so many different kinds of people there's people who really harness the superpowers there's really people who really fall into the kind of negativity and the victim mentality of it there's people who there's this like um gen z kind of um group of people who are like loud and proud and dopamine dressing and really really unmasking and then i feel like there's my kind of group of people who are you know 40 plus women who have masked their, their whole life don't even really know what it would look like to to not mask you know it's not really part of our um uh like objective for kind of learning how to work with our adhd it's just more about understanding it understanding it about ourselves feeling really liberated by you know taking off the the weight of like shame and i should be able to do this why can't i do this and it's much more about like moving forward rather than um yeah these these amazing gen z who are all in their you know pink hair and dungarees and all that kind of thing <laughs> that are just really kind of celebrating themselves mm. i feel like I feel like we're we're in a very different place and that's a lot of the founders I work with that are in this place of you know I've got a family and kids and I've got all these commitments in my life and and I've had this diagnosis so I feel like everything's changed in me but nothing's really changed around me and that's one of the the very common things that I work with them on is how do we how do we make the outside reflect the inside mm. 
masking is super interesting i'd love to talk about that in, in a second yeah uh, just last question on on your work what's the most common problem and i think it would be interesting for people listening that founders bring up in your calls um i guess the most common thing is just it's just this sense of heaviness you mm. know I've had calls before where we've both been in tears because they're just talking about how just, yeah, just heavy everything feels. This this shame and guilt and um, never feeling good enough. The things that we've internalised from such a young age, I feel like the male and female experience is so different in that respect. The way that women internalise the internalize our hyperactivity into you know anxiety or perfectionism mm. or being a good girl you know being top of the class whereas boys hyperactivity often makes that you know the opposite unfortunately you look at what's the the stats for undiagnosed um adhd in male prisons 75 percent of prisoners mm. is just horrific like they're naughty boys that just continue to be naughty boys because it's never you know harnessed or or supported or nurtured in them whereas girls is very very different it's you know everything i said so so yeah working with these women can often be a real process of and it's not just women i work with but predominantly can be a real process of just letting go of some of that and that's not i'm not a life coach i'm not a therapist that's not really but so much of it is tied up in their business. And I recognize that from me so much in my first business, I worked with someone who just made me feel so stupid and useless. And um, because I couldn't work in the way that, or I didn't work in the way they worked. I didn't want to sit for two hours looking at a spreadsheet and trawling through numbers and I'd get distracted and I'd, you know lose focus and and i didn't know why i was completely lost at the time i was so disoriented i kept saying i feel like everyone else has got this rule book but no one else will let me see it mm. you know everyone else knows what they're doing and i'm just like trying to keep up like desperately running to keep up and it's exhausting and i see that reflected in so many people that i work with it's it's really sad is masking a topic that your clients come to you and and speak to you about yeah i think as you said masking such a funny one isn't it because i think when you even when i see some of these you know tiktoks or instagram or whatever pop up talking about unmasking it still surprises me and i think oh yeah i suppose that is masking isn't it i just don't no, I talk about this a lot with friends, ADHD friends or uh, autistic friends. And I think because we're friends, we're all of a similar age and we're all of a similar life stage, I guess. And so the thought of unmasking is, is almost impossible. You know, where do you start? Like, where do you start? And and also, I mean, this is quite a vulnerable thing to say, but who am I? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I've masked for 45 years. I don't know who... I feel like when I'm with my husband, I'm completely unmasked, unmasked. But 
I, I don't know that that's the best version of me to be around, you know, I'm, I'm completely myself, but that doesn't mean I'm necessarily like fun. And I mean, you know, we have fun, obviously we have a great, but if I'm just sat there on the sofa watching telly, I'm, if he, you know, talks to me, I could snap at him or I could, you know, I hate like being interrupted and all that ADHD stuff. So for me, it's like, where does the line come in of being an, a, a sort of good citizen and a good member of society and someone who is, is I'm trying to avoid the word nice, but like, a good person in the world mm. and I'm masking because if I just went out there and everyone that spoke to me, I was like, don't talk to me. I'm, you know, I'm focusing or that that's where it comes in for me. And often when I do see people talking about unmasking, I, that is my question. Like how far do you go? Because we can't go from zero to a hundred, can we? And, a lot of people, when they talk about unmasking, they're expecting everyone else to un- around them to understand what that means and why they're doing it and why they've masked and what it means to unmask now. And we're expecting this level of understanding that we have. We're expecting everyone else to have that. So I've seen people talking about how um, you know, they've turned down an event because it's, let's say it was too um, noisy or, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't neurodivergent friendly. That is like more power to you. That is brilliant. But we're, we're still at zero, aren't we? Like a lot of these events don't understand mm. that that would be an issue for a neurodivergent mm. person. That's just, that's just one example. You know, there's so many examples, but I think if we are going to truly unmask, then there's just an element of education that needs to be done, not necessarily by us, but by society for everyone to understand what's going on. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think that there's, do you, how, how do you feel about masking? I think it's a really, a really interesting topic. I find it really interesting and I've had, Everything you said makes sense. I've, I've had quite some different opinions on masking on the yeah. podcast um, from, it's so nuanced. I mean, I personally don't relate 100% to it because to me, the idea of, of what I've seen on social media is the idea of masking is that you're consciously altering yourself in order to fit in to a situation. Yes. And I don't relate to that at all. Um I mean, I suppose the an example might be, and I've thought about this myself, you know, how I act now around my girlfriend in the flat is very different to how I acted around her on our first date when I first met her. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So I'm very, I was very different then to that, but I, I'm more comfortable around her now, but what was I consciously like trying to not come across as goofy or silly on our first date? maybe but if i went on you know and she's listening she'll listen to this but if, if god forbid if i went on another first date would i still <laughs> would i still act the way i did you know of course i would but that's learned behavior in a way that's that's um yeah I'm that's not conditioning like, isn't it yeah because you don't want you want to put your best self forward and okay maybe my best self is you know me rolling around on the floor and, and being silly and what i do in the flat but you wouldn't do that I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that in a restaurant. You kind of want to no. 
sure, there's, there's an expectation of a man to appear confident and to be assertive and to, you know, stand up with a good posture when you meet someone for the first time. But I enjoy yeah. that. It's not, I don't, it's not like yeah. a, a forced effort. Like that, that Alex me on the first day and Alex me now in the flat when I'm rolling around playing with my dog, you know, none, none of those were an effort to, to, mm. to, to, I'm not faking anything in both of those situations. No. So for me, it's incredibly complicated and something I'm still trying to understand. Um, but it, is, it really is nuanced, isn't it? It really is. Like there's times when I think, I know when I'm masking, when I get home and I'm like, oh. And, but then is it just exhausting being around people? Am I just exhausted by being around people? And the person I present, when I'm in a group of people is, you know, because of my ADHD, I am like, I hear what everyone says and I want to be in the conversation. I'm smiling a lot, you know, whereas I guess my natural face is just quite a bit like resting bitch face, you know, it does, takes a lot of energy to like look engaged and, and is that, I mean, I'm not being fake. I do want to be there with people. I do want to, I could do without like tuning into every single conversation and trying very hard to focus on one. That's exhausting in itself, isn't it? But yeah, I do just wonder where the line is between. I shared a, a, a post on Instagram a while ago that said about one of my best tricks in business. And one of the things I talk to clients about all the time is like finding your Sasha Fierce. So finding your alter ego, if there's a job you don't want to do, or if there's, you know, if you have to do a presentation or something, if you just have to trick yourself for a while. And a lot of people came at me saying, this is really unhealthy. It's just basically masking in another, using different words for masking. And I was like, okay, then I really don't get it because this, like this alter ego kind of, um, psychology works for so many people it's talked about it's a real mm. thing it's why Beyonce does it um, so yeah it's very it's 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 such a huge topic isn't it and it's very nuanced I just I personally I feel like as long as I am comfortable with who I'm being at that time I think that's all right for me now mm. you know and if I can control the environment around me in terms of how I work, where I work, who I work with, if I can control those elements that I know are a trigger for me or are exhausting. Like when I think about working in the office, working in an office all the time, surrounded by people, that there's definitely an element of masking there. That is exhausting. So if I can control those things around me, so the times when perhaps I am masking a less, then I think that's that's a good a good place to start, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it's it's super interesting, the whole topic. Um yeah, such a such a you could probably have a whole probably speak for two, three hours just on this topic. I mean Yeah. I, I said in the first episode a while ago that there are many versions of me and there's probably many versions of you, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Many, many versions. I'm, I'm, and there has been over the years. Definitely. I often think about this. You know, if someone had met me ten years ago, they wouldn't recognise me now. Even five years ago, um, 
you know, and, and every five and ten years b before that, yeah, there's definitely been so many versions of me. And I think that's normal, isn't it, to an extent? I think it's normal that, you know, we grow up and we go through phases, I guess, for... I guess as ADHDers, we're like very reflective about that stuff, aren't we? And because of masking and our, you know, drive for authenticity and stuff, we're always kind of questioning that stuff. And I, and I guess actually that's where, when I look back and I think about masking, that makes more sense to me before I knew. And I think, oh, I was trying to be that person. You know, I think of different groups of friends that I used to have and how I try and fit into each one. And, yeah, that makes a bit more sense, actually. Looking back makes a bit more sense of masking. Um, mm. And maybe that's where the different versions of us comes in. There's definitely right, so many versions of me. I, you know, throughout my life, I can be in a business meeting or I can be on the witness box in a courtroom, which I have been, or I can be playing with my dog on the sofa. You know, they're all me. Yeah. They're, they're all very different. Yeah very different yeah. you know one is like they're all very different situations and I respond to all of those situations differently yeah um, but I never faked any of my traits or character or personality in any of those situations I don't think <laughs> I don't think it reminds me of um there's a do you know the theory of like context collapse I don't know who came up with it I can't remember but it's this theory of people talk about it a lot online so imagine you're at a wedding and you've got your family there and old school friends and your uni friends and your partner's family and someone from the church and grandparents. Like trying to have one conversation with all of those people is almost impossible, isn't it? If you're one person speaking to all those people, how do you choose the topic and the tone, you know, the tone you speak in and whether you swear or not and all that kind of stuff? So people talk about that a lot relating to online where you're speaking to your audience, but anyone can actually come and consume your content and um, uh, interpret it in a completely different way. And I guess it relates in a way to that, doesn't it? You're, you're different. Pe if you take all those groups of people at the wedding, you're going to be a slightly different version of yourself with each of them to, to be appropriate for them aren't mm. you you're not going to speak to your grandparents the same way you speak to your mates from uni or you know your part your in-laws or whatever so i think it just comes down i don't know where does social conditioning stop and masking start i don't know i mean that's i guess that's a huge topic isn't it an interesting example I've just thought of while you were speaking is stand-up comedy, um, something I've done a little bit in the past. You wouldn't know. Have <laughs> um, <laughs> you? Yeah, I'd love to see that. Years ago. <laughs> and and if, if you go into the green room at a comedy gig, you, you see like, you know, four or five men and women waiting to go on stage. Yeah, very yeah. generally, I find stand-up comedians off stage very quiet, very anxious, very, yeah. very shy, very quiet people. They go on stage, it's the polar opposite. They, yeah. are, they, they turn into Robin Williams and they are hilarious. Yeah. They're charismatic. Um, and that's, for, to me, just thinking about it, it's the most like glaring example of how someone can be so different. But when I was on stage and the people, the comics I know, it's never, again, it's never fake. They love being that person. Because it's an act, isn't it? That's hmm. an, it's an act. That's an act the same as, you know, an actor taking on a character for a role, isn't it? So, mm. yeah, I don't know. I don't, this is, this is why I think that 
I mean, it, it's it's very obvious to say it, isn't it? But within the ADHD community, there are so many different groups of people within that. And I think that, you know, I speak very much to the ADHD founders who are not necessarily the kind of freelancers. Because a lot of that, a lot of that, like, Gen Z, neurodivergent, you know, dopamine dressing, um gang who are incredible and are paving the way for so many people have you know are freelancers because they've realized that that the corporate world or nine to five world just isn't for them that's very different to the audience that i work with who or speak to who are you know that bit further on and have a very different set of problems definitely not easier or harder but just a very different set of problems where it's about you know, managing your business alongside your family or um, they've found a level of success and realised that it just, it doesn't make them happy. So so now what, you know, it's, it's a very different kind of set of problems. Mm. Let's talk about uh, social media and because yeah. that's where we met. You have yeah. a, a very successful Instagram page, um, which I think I liked a com. We we met on Instagram. I think you DM'd me, or I DM'd yeah. you, and that's that's how we yeah. got to know I each other. I think I shared your I shared your amazing episode with Barbara, didn't I? I loved yes. it. I loved yeah. Yeah, yeah Barbara Grigoski. Sure. Yeah, that's right, Barbara Grigoski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, amazing episode. Yeah, I loved it. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. We 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 spoke briefly about this before. All of the ADHD content on social media, TikTok, Instagram, yeah. uh, all of them. Uh, some so some good, some not so good. Um, what's your opinion on the influx of ADHD content? Uh, oh, I mean, just obviously it's great, but I think it has some drawbacks. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think, um, and again, another huge subject, isn't it? I think one of the things I think in terms of my personal experience is that since I have started consuming ADHD content on tiktok i don't enjoy going on tiktok anymore because it's literally all i get and and that's a interesting thing for me because whereas i always used to think my god that tiktok algorithm is like amazing it is amazing but at night time which is when i would generally have a look on tiktok um i don't want to hear it you know, I've heard about it, I've talked about it, I've been thinking about it, doing it all day. I don't want to hear that at night when I'm trying to relax. And and I also think that there's, which is brilliant, actually. Thank you, TikTok, because it's really cut my scroll time down. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> um, I think that there's an intentionality behind it as well, which is that I started sharing ADHD content like, middle of February and at that point I was on just over 18,000 and this weekend I hit like 50,000 which is what we are you know a couple of months so it's very it's been very very fast growth I've I've intentionally slowed it down recently because it was just too much it was burning me out um so there is high engagement and high growth to be found by sharing ADHD content. And I think therein lies the problem where 
your intention behind sharing it. My intention behind sharing it actually started off as it was just something I had to talk about. And it and I actually feel like even though it was only three years ago, I'm at the point now where I've I've been through a lot of that process. I feel, I'm very well researched on it. I read a lot. I think I consume a lot around it. And a lot of the things that were very obvious to me were actually really helping a lot of people and it really helped me to talk about it. I think what we're seeing now, and this is going to sound really, really hypocritical of me to say, but I think we're seeing a lot of, I mean, you know, you started Lab Bible and Unilad, a lot of that engagement baiting kind of content that people know will do really well. I put a post out a, a month or so ago now that's on like I've never spent a penny on on any of this content so completely organic it's on over a million reach it's got like 60,000 likes comment saves whatever 60,000 likes and um people keep reporting these it's been translated into like three other languages or something people keep reporting them to me so I think there is as we know on social media people know how to look for the viral content highly engaged content and and so if your intention is to talk about adhd just to grow an account then i think perhaps that's where the problem lies there's also the other side of it which is the con the content consumers because when i first started sharing adhd content it was much more broad and some of the comments I was getting were just like absolutely wild. It was just crazy. I've, I've really, it really burnt me out in the beginning. So, so now I'm really careful just to share ADHD founder content, so mm. stuff that's really specific for that cross section. And I think there's a bit of a fear of us doing ourselves a disservice where it's hard to say isn't it because does everyone see this content or is it just us because we're in this world i think it's probably just us because we are in these echo chambers but i think that we're treading a fine line if we want to educate and make people aware of the lived experience just kind of flooding the internet with um with this kind of very general content could actually do the opposite i guess mm. if you know i know that people are getting a bit kind of overwhelmed by it already yeah for sure there's so much um and a lot of it is good a lot of it is very uh reinforcing the stigma you know i, I saw one clip of of somebody walking in front of traffic and going oh my adhd again and it got like millions and millions of views and everyone oh, laughing yeah, and no. that, that's quite an extreme example but there was a lot of content that just reinforces the the sort of stigma and the stereotype i think yeah. um, which which annoys me um as a content creator on the subject now myself i'm very careful to not position myself as an expert um yeah because it's one kettle of fish being good at creating social media content I believe after I could, I, if I research something, I could probably build a community on any topic if I spent yeah. a couple of months researching it. Um, yeah. But just because I know how the algorithms work and I know how to create content, that doesn't make me yeah. qualified to position myself as an expert. I get a lot of DMs from people asking me quite medical, medical questions and I'm very quick to say, 
I'm not I'm not the guy to ask. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, I'm, just... I'm exactly the same. I really try and position myself as um like opening up the conversation rather than or or yeah, making like suggestions for their business from in the sense from an ADHD perspective. Yeah, definitely. I get all, you know, can you diagnose me? What medication should I be taking? And in the beginning, I've talked about this a few times, but in the beginning I was getting some very heavy, people call it trauma dumping, don't mm. they? My DMs where I just get these very, very long messages. And it's it's difficult to manage that because the reason people are messaging me about it is because they can't talk about it openly. So they don't want to leave a comment on on like my post or whatever because they're not kind of out to their or they're not getting the support they need and and so in the beginning I was really trying to answer every comment and go back to every dm because you know people that's like a nice thing to do isn't it but you quickly realize you just can't it's just it's just exhausting um mm. and doesn't serve anyone then does it if you if you then there was a stage where I thought, do I even want to be posting this? And then, you know, that doesn't help anyone at all, does it? No, of course not. No. Um, but it's fascinating. And yeah, to, to speak to a fellow content creator in the space is, is so interesting. Wow. Um, this has been so fun. And we, we've we've actually, looking at the time, we've gone way over how long I thought we'd be talking. But I oh, think it's been, it's been so... <laughs> It's been so worth it, and uh, I'm so happy for the episodes to go on for longer than an hour if if the content is valuable, and I think this has been so valuable. The closing oh, question that I've just started doing, and I don't know if I'll keep doing it, but we will see, is this. If you could spend an afternoon with anybody, whether they're alive today or lived at any point in history, who would it be, and what would you do with them? Oh, my God, what a question. This is like... The dinner party question, isn't it? But even worse, one person. Who would I spend an afternoon with? I mean, it would have to be Beyonce. <laughs> it would have yeah. to be. Like, literally, then I was thinking, come on, you've got to think of someone better than Beyonce. I mean, if I could have two in one to spend the afternoon with Beyonce and Jay-Z, I think, I mean, just think of all you would learn <laughs> My in girlfriend. an afternoon with them. What would you do with them? I just want to, I'd just literally go with a list of questions. I'd want to like hang out for a bit. I'd want to see the house, take me like to your favorite shops and stuff. But I would just have so many questions. I'd also just want to watch how they interact with each other because I often wonder with those relationships how, I mean, I know we all know the, the kind of controversy between them two, but how much, it's like the Beckhams, isn't it? How much of a relationship is it? How much of a business brand thing is it? That, re that really fascinates me um, about them. I'm definitely going to come off this recording and kick myself there. <laughs> oh my God, why didn't I say so-and-so? Um, but yeah, it would have to imagine if you just got a letter saying, Oh, come and uh, we've got a flight, come and spend the afternoon with Beyonce and Jay. You'd just like, I'd just die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you <laughs> never know. <laughs> you never yeah, know. You never know. Stranger things <laughs> yeah. have happened, haven't they? To, to, yeah, stranger people. So yeah, it mm. would be them, I think. 
where can people find you if they want to reach out to you uh the best place is probably instagram at amanda perry um i'm on linkedin a bit as well um not as much on instagram um yeah if you go to instagram look at my links or like my website and everything's there my email and stuff um yeah that's the best place amazing amanda thank you so much it's been super insightful thank you Thank you, Alex. It's been really fun. Thanks for having me. And also thanks for having this podcast and, you know, opening up the conversation in the way you do. It's really helpful to a lot of people. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 